Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. A life that continues to get worse and worse every single week. And we find ourselves asking, have we hit rock bottom yet? I don't know if we have. I don't know if it gets worse than this. But if it does, this New York Jets team is going to find a way to get there. Because this is a season where absolutely nothing has gone right. And there's not a lot of optimism or positivity around the team right now. Not much reason for hope or reason to believe that it doesn't get worse than this. Now this is all coming on the heels of a loss, 18-26, to to what's supposed to be the worst team in the entire NFL, the Miami Dolphins. They are supposedly tanking for a quarterback, probably trying to get Tua or another player in the draft. Clearly tanking. They've traded away most of their most of their good players. Their one mistake is they kept Ryan Fitzpatrick on the roster and they allowed him to start. I mean, that's a guy that just finds a way to win games. I know that we're a terrible, inept team, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's a guy that, like, you expect him to do badly and he'll do great, or you expect him to do great and he'll do badly. It's just... He's not the guy you want to put at quarterback if you're trying to trying to lose games because one way or another, he's going to find a way to get something out of you here and there. And this week, he did it against the New York Jets. He made us look bad. The whole team made us look bad. And we're sitting here wondering, are we the worst team in the NFL? It's possible. This was supposed to be the beginning of the week part of the schedule. We played a bunch of tough games. We've been talking about it all year long. I have specifically played the Jaguars last week. That wasn't a walk in the park, but it was on the right direction. This one was the beginning of it. Miami Dolphins, probably the worst team in the league. After that, we've got the Giants. We've got the Redskins. We've got easy games following that as well. And it felt like, you know, maybe we had a bad start, rough go, a lot of things not going our way. But it was possible that the New York Jets would get things back on track. And I had hope. I always have hope in the New York Jets. And at this point, I don't know why. I mean, everyone calls me crazy every year. People in my life, people around me, people on Twitter, wherever it is, people respond to the podcast. How, how the hell, Dan, do you still find optimism or a way to believe this team is going to be good? I don't know. I don't know what it is. And still, I haven't completely lost hope yet. I mean, yes, in this season, we're not going to make the playoffs. I know that. But I still have this feeling in me that, like, Joe Douglas is going to turn this thing around. We're going to draft really well. We have a new guy in charge. We haven't gone through too many general managers. Finally, changing of the guard there. New draft style. Get some good stock in here. And this team's going to shoot right back up. Sam Darnold's the guy. And we're built for the future. I do still truly believe that. But it's hard right now to watch these games. It's hard for most fans to sit through an 18-26 to 26 loss to the Dolphins where the team looks lost. The team looks like, you know, they start the game really well and then they just fizzle out entirely. Can't make adjustments as their opponents right in front of them are making adjustments, changing, adapting their play style. And we're, I mean, it is a hopeless, horrible season. Players seem unhappy. People are unhappy with the owner, the coach they want fired. You know, a lot of people are getting a lot of heat right now. One of the only people that isn't getting any is Joe Douglas, and rightfully so, because I said when this year began, this was a year that was Mike McCagden's management, really. Mike McCagden set the draft. He spent all the money in free agency. He picked the coach. Everything was set for Mike McCagden. Joe Douglas popped in. I wasn't going to give any of the credit to Joe Douglas if we did well. I wasn't going to give any of the blame to him if we did poorly. So I'm going to stand my ground there. And I'm going to remember that a few months ago when we were going through general manager candidates, you know, all else aside, we didn't know what the season was going to be, but we were just looking at candidates. He was the top choice. He was seeming like the best candidate. And a lot of people were, were saying the Jets are too cheap. They're not going to get Joe Douglas. They're not going to go out there and do the right thing and get the best guy for the job. And they surprised us and they got him. We just haven't seen him go to work yet. But this team is an absolute dumpster fire. And we may be the worst team in the league. We just lost to the Dolphins, 18-26. to 26. Yes, we played in Miami. They had home field advantage. Yes, it's a division game. Division games are always a little bit weird. Division teams play each other well. It's Adam Gase against his old team. The, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores, was the defensive coach of the Patriots. So there's a lot of, like, ancestral AFC East stuff going on there where things get a little funky. But at the end of the day, a team like the Dolphins that are trading away Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills, Minka Fitzpatrick... Guy after guy, Kenyon Drake is gone now. Most of their best players. I mean, I'll never say that these Dolphins players are trying to lose. Ryan Fitzpatrick is trying to win the game. Kalen Balazs is trying to win the game. Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, whoever you, you pick on the Dolphins side of the ball, they're trying to win the game. 
because that's what they do. They're players. They have to make their resume. They got to try to get another contract. I mean, this is a horrible team. You got to think that next year they're going to be cleaning house with a lot of these guys. You better make your you better make your case quick. So you have to play good football. But what the general manager is doing, what the front office is doing, is they're just not putting a good team on the field. And honestly, I believe that they told Brian Flores. I bet they said, "Listen, we're going to make this very difficult for you. We're going to get rid of a lot of your players." We're going to give you a pretty bad team, but we're not going to hold you accountable for what happens. And most of the rest of the NFL, when looking at your resume, when they think back to the season and they see the transactions that happened, they're going to kind of give you a pass when they see what the pieces you were working with were. So he's like, all right, whatever, I'll do the best that I can. He's not as sour as he should be leading a team that's as you know poorly put together as them. But still, the Jets find a way to lose to this. I'm, you know, I'm talking how poor and how bad the Dolphins are. And how bad they're supposed to be. But they beat us. And we have Sam Darnold. And we have a bunch of other solid players on the field. Jamal Adams is supposed to be our best player. He's on the field. Our best offensive player, Sam Darnold, Le'Veon Bell. They're playing. We spent a ton of money in free agency to bring guys in. You know, how are we this bad? How are we losing to teams like this? The excuses are over. And I got a lot of stuff I got to get into in this episode. It's going to be a little different than usual. We kind of are... Uh, as these weeks have gone on and the team is playing so freaking poorly, we're spending less time recapping the game and, and what happened. We're going to do a little bit more talking about what the hell's going on with this franchise and, uh, you know, look ahead to next week. We will touch on the Dolphins game a bit and some of the players, but um, this week we're going to talk about coaching, the management. We're going to look, we're going to start looking at free agency, believe it or not. Free agency for the Jets internally first. We're not going to look outside. Frankly, we're just not there yet. There are too many hypotheticals and we're not talking about bringing new guys in. We're talking about is there anybody on this roster that's worth keeping? So we'll talk about that. We're going to get into the draft a little bit. Talk about what's coming in the draft. Just a quick preview of that because, you know, it's New York Jets fans' favorite time of season. The joke every year, oh, the Jets' best time of year is free agency in the draft. Unfortunately, for one more year, there's truth to that statement. So a little bit of talk about the draft. We're going to do what's on tap because you know your boy be drinking for this one. Beer in hand. We're going to move on past that. We're going to do player news because there are some roster transactions that have happened in the last 24 hours. We're going to talk a little bit of that Dolphins game, do player stats and team stats. My dad sent in a nice little submission for father time. Going to talk about that and then preview the Jets versus Giants game this upcoming weekend. I will be in attendance for this Jets-Giants game. People are calling me crazy. How the heck are you going to watch the New York Jets face the miserable New York Giants? Well, I'll tell you. Right now, i got a crew of 10 awesome people. Mixed bag, Jets fans and Giants fans. Few of those members you may have heard from on this podcast, members of the board, roommate Kyle, girlfriend Shannon, all going to be in at attendance. We're going to tailgate the heck out of this thing, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., drinking beers, cooking dogs, burgers, doing the whole thing, the fanfare, exciting. And then we're going to go in there and we're going to watch Sam Darnold face off against Daniel Jones in what's going to be potentially a battle of quarterbacks for years to come in New York, you know, fighting for the same market of fans. Obviously, the Jets have their fans, the Giants have their fans, way more Giants fans. This is a home game for the Jets, probably going to feel like an away game. But this is an exciting thing, you know. The Giants have a horrible defense, maybe Sam Darnold can do well against them. The Jets have no pass rush, maybe Daniel Jones can find time and, and play well against the Jets. There is exciting stuff to be, you know, enjoyed at this game. I'll be cheering start to finish, as I always do, always rooting for the New York Jets to win. If you hear one dude screaming, cheering for the Jets way too loud for the entire game up in the back of the end zone is probably me. But I will, uh, I haven't gotten parking passes yet for everybody, but when I do, I will uh, make sure I tweet out where I'm going to be posted up for the tailgate in case you want to stop by, have a beer, wallow in the Jets' miseries, talk Jets, football, anything. We will be there, and I encourage anybody to stop down and, and just, you know, say, hey, what's up, or anything like that. So on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan is where I'll let you know the details of the greatest pregame of all time. And then, uh, yeah, that's basically what we're going to do for this here episode. So, as always, if you like this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. I appreciate all feedback. Positive feedback is most appreciated, but it's all good. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan, for any of my thoughts or anything else that goes on through my head throughout the week regarding the New York Jets. And then, from there, you can find this podcast on gangreennation.com. It usually takes like a day or two to submit to that website, so... When this one comes out tonight, it probably won't be up on that site. Might be up tomorrow, if not definitely the day after. But you can engage with the fans there. It's a great website, gangreennation.com, run by awesome people. I encourage anybody to check that site out as well. 
Whatever your feelings in New York Jets fan, there are probably many more like you. Us Jets fans like to stay in hiding, but if you're feeling a certain way, there are more. Find them. Engage with them. GangreenNation.com. Always a good choice. All right, moving on to this stuff. Let's start with the coaching. People want to know, Dan, do you think Adam Gase should be fired? I'm going to say this. I'm going to start by saying I am a very optimistic Jets fan, as most of you know. Adam Gase should definitely be fired. I don't know if he should be fired today, but he needs to be fired at the end of the season. I can make the case that firing Adam Gase today doesn't make us a better team. You can say addition by subtraction, but you have to remember, not having a head coach is the worst scenario of all. If we just had no head coach, that would be the ultimate chaos. At least we have a person in place. You fire him, you have an empty spot. You got to hire somebody, you got to promote somebody. Dowell Loggins, our offensive coordinator, is just a puppet extension of Adam Gase, who's probably there just to make it more difficult to fire him, because if we had a competent offensive coordinator not completely tied to Gase, we could fire Gase, move the OC up, and let them run the offense. That can't happen, because Dowell Loggins is a silent, mute, Patton Oswalt-like creature who just does Adam Gase's bidding, and not much more. So he's basically useless. The two of them have to get fired together. You could promote running backs coach Jim Bob Cooter, who has experience being an offensive coordinator with the Detroit Lions, but he didn't get extended there. Honestly, I wasn't too impressed with Jim Bob Cooter. I don't think that he's the answer. I don't think that he's a guy that's going to make this offense look great. And potentially he can make things look a little bit better, but to what level? And then you get the whole issue of, well, if you promote, Greg Williams would end up being the head coach in this scenario, I'm sure. Greg Williams did a good job filling in as an interim head coach for the Cleveland Browns last year. And then when they didn't give him the head coaching job, they gave it to Freddie Kitchens. Greg Williams wasn't going to stay there. And personally, I like I like Triple G. And I like him as a defensive coordinator. And if you promote him to head coach interim for the end of the season, then when the season comes to an end, if you don't keep him a defensive-minded coach that the New York Jets may not want to have, then he's probably not going to go back to being a defensive coordinator. He may move again. And then we lose him. So now you're in a spot where you've just lost Adam Gase, Triple G, and then Patton Oswalt who's whatever, he doesn't matter. Potentially, you could say, yeah, it's better, let's just do that, and then start completely fresh next year. But there's the other side of, like, we hired him, we're paying him, we don't have, like, a really good option behind him who's going to be the answer. We would just be putting another question mark, just like a placeholder type coach. So why not have the placeholder type coach of Gase be there? There is that argument. I, I can also see the argument of just, just get rid of him and move on, because frankly, I think I would rather fire Adam Gase today then have that feeling of like, oh, I hope they don't keep him on for next year because there's still a scenario where Chris Johnson keeps Adam Gase next year. As horrible as that sounds, as horrible as we've been right now, as 100% on board as the fan base is in getting rid of Adam Gase, we're still paying Todd Bowles from his original contract. We signed Adam Gase for a four-year contract that we'll still be paying. And if we get a new coach, we'll be paying three coaches simultaneously. We'll still be paying Todd Bowles and Adam Gase and the new coach. And that's money that comes out of Christopher Johnson's pocket. That's not really our issue. That's not part of the cap. And you got to hope that he's going to be willing to be like, all right, I made a mistake because this one's on him. You know, he hired Adam Gase. That's his job. To fi- and he allowed Adam Gase to fire Mike McCagnan. I mean, that's his guy there. So is he willing to look in the mirror and say, in eight weeks, just short eight weeks, where he can make as many excuses as we made with Sam Darnold and the injuries and this and that. He can look in and say, I made a huge mistake. I'm going to pay dearly for it and then pay millions of dollars more to try to fix it. Or is he going to say, well, let's see what one season of drafting from Joe Douglas, a better roster and things like that can do for this team. Very possible. Fans don't want to hear it, but it's possible that Adam Gates will be here next year. And I don't think he should be. I think that he's proven that he's a bad head coach. Maybe he could be an offensive coordinator. I mean, it doesn't really look like it right now, the way Sam Darnold is regressing the way the offense lacks creativity, the way players aren't getting involved. We've got guys like Ty Montgomery, who's supposed to be a Swiss Army Knife-type player, guys like Le'Veon Bell, who are ridiculously good at receiving, but still he's not getting involved in the passing game in any sort of intelligent or creative way. We've got receivers that can you know, run quickly and get open in Jamison Crowder. He's a slot guy that can do that still. We're not finding ways to get the ball to him. Robbie Anderson, one of the better deep threats in the league. Can't find a way to get the ball to him. We're doing the same thing over and over and failing the same way. And, you know, you saw this game against the Miami Dolphins, and we came out with a pretty good drive. It looked like the New York Jets had a good game plan coming in. Usually you script basically your first drive, like the first 10 plays or so, which was our first drive, 10 plays, 75 yards. We score a touchdown, and the Jets' offense looked pretty good. And you think to yourself, ooh, this could be a good day for us. The difference is Brian Flores is a good coach, and he made adjustments instantly and said, all right, 
The Jets are going to try to play this way. We're going to try to get more pressure on Sam Darnold. We're going to take away the weapons that he found on the first drive, Jamison Crowder specifically. Next drive, Dolphins work on that. They take those things away. The Jets can't find a way to get the offense going. We sputter. We don't score. And this proves to me that Adam Gase came out with one style of play that he planned. He watched the Miami Dolphins all week on film and said, ooh, this is how we're going to beat them. He comes to the game. Good drive. Looks like we're set to do well. He can't make coaching change when the opponent does. The Dolphins changed their style. Adam Gase can't do it with them. And if you can't change in-game, it was one of our biggest issues with Todd Bowles, honestly, was in-game adjustments just weren't there. You saw it clearly from the Miami Dolphins, the way that they handled their first drive to their rest of the game. The way when the game started, it was like, it looked like it was going to be a walk in the park, and then it was far from it. Why is that? Why did one drive look good? Because Adam Gase had one game plan and took Brian Flores one drive to figure to figure out what the hell we were trying to do and then stop it, and Gase was rendered useless. So Gase isn't creative at all. That's my biggest issue with him. He's supposed to be a genius. We're not seeing any creativity whatsoever. We're not finding a way to get these weapons that we have in successful situations, which is exactly what he's supposed to be doing there. But still, that's not my biggest issue. My biggest issue isn't even that, as a head coach, he's now 24-32, and 32, a 42% winning percentage, and on average would end at a 7-9 and nine record, a little worse than that. That's what he has on his resume as a head coach. That's not my biggest issue. My biggest issue is that during the game, he's holding a clipboard, looking at offensive play calling, and he's not coaching his team. He's not working the refs on the sideline like a lot of good coaches do. He's not watching what the defense is doing on the field to try to get feels for game flow. He's not looking from an overarching standpoint of what are we doing on defense, what are we doing on offense, how do we incorporate everything together. No, he's just looking at what play he's going to call next. Dowell Loggins is useless. Apparently, he can't do that job. He's an extension of Adam Gates, but not one that can actually do the job. He's just an extension that can stand there, and I guess during practices, Adam Gates can go take a drink of water, take a break in the shade, and Dowell Loggins can continue the same practice schedule going forward because he already knows what he's doing. But in-game useless. I mean, this whole thing is an absolute mess, and we've seen it, and it's too late to convince us that this guy's got anything more than, you know, a pile of poop up his sleeve. So, unfortunately... The New York Jets are going to have to be looking for a new head coach, and I don't think we should be going for one of these flyer guys that doesn't have experience. I don't think we should be looking for the next Sean McVay like all these teams are doing. I mean, you end up in one of these Freddie Kitchens, Adam Gase scenarios, and it's not better. I think we need to go for an established head coach, a guy that's got respect around the league, a guy that knows how to lead men and knows how to lead them to victory, has done it before. It's going to be hard to find a guy like that, and who the hell is going to want to come to the New York Jets? Why would you want to be the coach of this team? I mean, it's a dumpster fire over here. We're supposed to have a pretty good roster. And now, next year, we got free agents coming. We're going to have to make a bunch more moves. But hopefully, we can find one. That's what Joe Douglas's job is. He was brought in here as our general manager. He needs to convince somebody that this team's headed in the right direction, that he's the guy to bring us there, and a new head coach is going to want to get on board. So that brings us to management. It appears as though our owner doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Neither of them, Woody or Chris Johnson, know how to run a football team. But that's what Joe Douglas's job is. He's the guy that needs to write this ship. The biggest issue with the New York Jets, and the reason that we really suck, isn't Adam Gase, although he's not helping us in any way whatsoever. It's that our roster's not very good. And the reason that our roster's no good is that we don't have any depth. And the reason that we don't have any depth is because we can't draft. We haven't drafted well for years. Mike McCagnan drafted horribly. He made terrible pick after terrible pick. He was really only good in the first round when everybody and their brother knew who to pick. And the guy before him, John Idzik, was also horrible. Absolutely awful drafts. We haven't had a good draft since Mike Tannenbaum way back in the day. And, you know, those are the days that we were good. You saw that when we drafted Debrickenshaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold and Darrell Revis and David Harris all in like a short span. The team was in an AFC championship game two years in a row right after that. That's what happens when you draft well. That's what Joe Douglas's opportunity is with this team. We have eight picks this year, and he's going to have to capitalize on that. But first, he's got to look internally at the roster that we have because we've got a lot of a lot of guys that aren't under contract for next year. We have upcoming free agents that we have to make decisions on. And honestly, when you look at it right now, we've got 27 guys that are set to be free agents. That's more than half of the roster. So no, in reality, we don't want all these players back. We're a bad team, and if we built the same team again, we would be just as bad next year. Maybe a little better with some better coaching. We've got to make decisions on these guys, though. Some of them have to come back, but all of them cannot. Of course, we have to start making some upgrades. So let's look at the guys that are going to be free agents next year that should not be invited back to this New York Jets team. Right off the rip, Kelvin Beecham 
and Ryan Khalil have done badly, just badly, all year long in blocking, and they shouldn't be on this team. We need to make the offensive line first. It's the most important thing. They got to go. We got to get somebody better. Demarius Thomas, he probably shouldn't be on this team anymore because even though he's giving us some good minutes, he's making it a little bit easier on Sam Darnold here and there. He's over 30 years old. His best days are behind him, and if we want to be a better team, he's the type of guy that needs to be improved. He needs to be off the team. He doesn't offer anything in special teams. He's not young. He doesn't have promise. Time to move on from him. Trevor Simeon. We need a good backup quarterback. We thought maybe it was going to be Trevor Simeon, but he played half a game and looked absolutely dreadful. And unless Adam Gase is just that bad and truly destroys quarterbacks, we probably could find somebody better than him. Rontez Miles. He's been on this team for a long time, a guy that I used to like, but at this point, he plays decent special teams, can't get on the field on defense, and is kind of just a wasted player. Tom Compton, a a deep player for our offensive line that was supposed to be really good. Jack of all trades. He can play tackle, guard, center, every offensive line position. He started in the NFL before. I liked it. I liked the pick. I said, this is going to be a good guy to have on the roster because he's very, he's got, he's got a lot of flexibility. But this guy, as our offensive line has been absolutely horrible all year, can't touch the field. Apparently, he's not an improvement over what looks to be the worst offensive line in football. So he must be even worse. He shouldn't be on the team. Which brings us to Brent Quayle who's on IR and has been horrible for the Jets for years, he shouldn't be there. Daniel Brown, tight end, useless. He's probably even worse than Trevon Wesco, if that's even possible. Get rid of him. Chris Herndon will be back anyway. We won't need him anymore. David Fails, a failed quarterback. Blake Countess, who? A safety that's playing no minutes, can't get anything done. These are the guys that you have to replace. We need good players on the team. We need depth. BJ Bello. This guy we just picked up to play middle linebacker. He's not supposed to be on the team. He's just there because we have a bunch of injuries. He'll be gone. Arthur Mollette, a horrible cornerback. We've got the worst cornerback situation in the world, and he can't get on the field because he's not an improvement over anybody. He's got to be gone. So that's what we got for players that should leave. Honestly, this is a this-moment-in-time opinion, right? We have to go through all these guys again when the season's over. This is just through eight weeks, halfway through the season. What are we looking at? What does Joe Douglas have to start thinking? What positions are we going to have to be looking at? Who should we be scouting for? What upcoming free agents should we be looking at? And what holes are we going to have on this team? It's his job to do that, so we're going to do it as well. Those are the players that, at this point in time, I think probably should not be extended. I reserve the right to change that opinion at any time because if Tom Compton starts playing and does well, I'm going to be all on board with getting him back. right? If, if Rontez Miles proves that he can play great safety and do some really killer special teams plays, I'm going to want him back as well. Demarius Thomas, maybe he can continue and, and be even better in the second half of the season and prove that he's got fresh legs and maybe we bring him back for one more year. It's all possible. This is just where we stand right now. And the players that are like question marks for me, Bilal Powell and Ty Montgomery. These are two running backs that, in my mind, are pretty good running backs. We already have Le'Veon Bell as our number one, so we're set there. But who are we going to have as a backup? And we've got a bunch of guys in the roster. Trenton Cannon, Bilal Powell, Ty Montgomery, Josh Adams, who's just called up. We got to figure out maybe pick two of these guys. One guy should be playing special teams, and one guy should be the actual backup running back. I would say pick one of the two: Bilal Powell or Ty Montgomery. Resign one of them. Neither one of them is too expensive. Ty Montgomery's only getting paid like nine hundred thousand dollars this year, so it's not like he's some super expensive player. I think it might be worth bringing him back for another year, but we still haven't seen enough from him to be like, well, he's a real, a real value-added guy because he hasn't added any value to this team yet. He's a good player that we like, that we had high hope for, but we've not seen it on the field. Frankie Luvu, he's only 23 years old. I've always had some hope for him, and he's bounced around the practice squad and was actually off the team for a little bit. But he's a guy that I always said, you know, he's not good now, but maybe one day he can get there. You need a few of those young, bargain-type players that have some promise, and I think he at least does have that, the opportunity to get better. Um, Matthias Farley, a safety that I like that started for the Colts back in his career, hasn't played much for the New York Jets so far. I think he provides good depth, maybe could be brought back. Albert McClellan, inside linebacker, currently injured, good special teamer. He's a free agent coming up that could potentially be brought back. Uh, same goes with a guy like Brandon Copeland. Probably shouldn't be starting, but could be a cheap backup. Brandon Shell and uh, Alex Lewis, two offensive linemen that really we had a little bit of hope for coming into this year and at times had played well, but recently have just not been getting the job done. But you probably can't replace six or seven offensive linemen all at once. You probably have to keep a few of them. So maybe those are two of the guys that you do keep. And then Sam Ficken, you know, can he keep on kicking or do we need to find a better kicker very possible that we could find somebody better than Sam Ficken a guy that we didn't even know existed like two months ago 
And so those are guys that right now I think are like on the bubble. We'll see what can happen for the rest of the year with those guys. Players that I'd like to re-sign, obviously to team-friendly contracts. I'd be looking at guys like Jordan Jenkins, who's probably our best pass rusher right now. Robbie Anderson, who, if we ever have an offensive line, will provide a skill set that we will really seriously want with Sam Darnold. A fast, down-the-field burner. Kind of hard to find in the NFL, and when you don't have one and you have a good offensive line, you're looking for one. You're trying to draft one. Well, we already got him, so if we can get him for a good deal, he seems like he wants to play here, let's keep him. Brian Poole. He's been playing really good slot, and he's not been perfect every single week. I think he started the season better than he's been the last couple weeks, but he's still one of the better defensive players that we have. He's an improvement over Buster Screen. It's a position that can be tough to find, and he's been better than advertised since we've gotten him. Lachlan Edwards, I think he's an average punter, but sometimes it can be hard to find an average punter. So even though he's going to be an upcoming free agent, I think we should re-sign him. Neville Hewitt, he's upcoming. I think that he's worth keeping, not as a starter, but as a backup. He played serviceable minutes. You know, he's not perfect, but that's what backups are. They're just depth pieces that when they get on the field, they can do a good, serviceable job. And he's one of the few players that depth on this team can actually do that. So Neville Hewitt, 26 years old, is worth a take back. And then Ryan Griffin, we need a second tight end. Trevon Wesco has proved that he really can't do the job. So why not bring Ryan Griffin back? One of the few guys that's getting in the end zone for the New York Jets this season. He actually leads the team in touchdowns with three. Almost had four this week. Should have had it if he caught the ball. And uh, maybe bring him back, pair him with Chris Herndon, and have you know an okay tight end room there. So I know I, know I just fired through that really quickly, and it kind of just came out of nowhere. It's like, wait, what? why are we talking about the free agents for next year? It's because... Things are so negative around this team right now and this franchise that, you know, as painful as it is to say that we're doing this again, it's time to start looking ahead, and this becomes an evaluation year. We're 1-7, and seven, and with seven losses already, even if we go on a winning streak and win out for the rest of the season and beat the Bills and the Ravens and teams we're supposed to lose to, even if we win the next eight games, we're still probably not going to be good enough to make the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. So this season is effectively useless in terms of, you know, what you're trying to do from a win-loss standpoint. I will still always root for the team to win, because if we win, that means our players are playing well. And if our players are playing well, that means that we have a better roster than we thought we had. If you lose every single game, you're thinking to yourself, we need to replace you know, 50 out of the 53 players. If you finish 8-8, eight and eight, you think to yourself, hey, we've got some good pieces. We're just a couple guys away from being a more successful team. So I will always root for us to win. But we have to start evaluating these guys now. We've got eight weeks now to look and think to ourselves, you know, can Sam Ficken convince us he needs to be on the roster? What about Locke Edwards? Can we get a better punter or is he the guy? Is Robbie Anderson worth the $10 million contract or more that he's going to warrant in the offseason? What about Brian Poole? What's he worth after what he's shown us? He was only making $3 million this year, but is he worth more than that now that he's played well? Jordan Jenkins. We need an edge rusher and he's not the answer but he could be a guy on a decent defense. So what do we have to pay him to keep him there in that role? A lot of that stuff is going to depend on how they finish out the rest of the season. And these are things that I personally am going to be looking at for the rest of the year. Um, I've always said that, you know, as time has gone on, I started thinking like a player. Then I started thinking like a coach as I got a little bit older and and more knowledgeable about the game. And now after watching for this many years, I I really think from a, a front office standpoint, because I truly believe that that's where the team is built. It's from the draft. It's from the players that you sign, the contracts that you give out. The coaching is important. Um, the players' play is important, but it really comes down to what kind of product you put on the field and who you bring into your organization. That's the front office's job, and that's what I like to focus on. So we'll be talking about that stuff more as the season goes on. We're going to keep track of those players specifically because they are all upcoming free agents. Everybody that's not listed on that, everybody like Jamison Crowder, Sam Darnold, guys like Brian Winters, these are guys that are under contract for next year. And unless we cut them, will be under contract next year. So we don't have to worry as much about them. They're already there. They're, they have money set for their contracts. And, you know, we have to do with them as best we can. So I've said it a few times in this one. The most important thing for the New York Jets, the most important thing for the Jets right now is not which player we sign or re-sign or extend or cut. It is truly next year's draft. The 2020 draft is the one thing that can get this ship moving in the right direction quickly. Because with one draft, the New York Jets can essentially add eight new players, all young, all hungry to play well, and all these players will be making some of the you know, smallest contracts in the entire roster. These are guys that are playing for four years for cheap, and you can't get a guy in free agency to do that. You, you go in free agency, you find Demarius Thomas, you trade a sixth-round pick for him, 
You pay him $3 million to be on your team. And he's got what potential for the future? You draft a guy in the sixth round, you pay him like $900,000 for four years. I mean, that is a much better deal. And this guy's got potential and can be great. And, you know, he's got the opportunity to be way better than Demarius Thomas is right now at the AG is. So it's super important to have a good draft. And Joe Douglas knows that. So he's got to do well. That's why he's accumulating picks the best he can. He's trading late-round picks, you know, sixth-round picks, seventh-round picks for guys like Nate Hairston, Alex Lewis, which I like. But he's acquiring some earlier picks. He got that Leonard Williams pick in the third round. He's got a fifth-round pick for 2021 that could potentially become a fourth-round pick, bringing those things in. And he's also looking at trading some players, shopping around to get more draft picks. Because the Jets aren't going to be amazing because we're paying Le'Veon Bell $13 million. The Jets will be amazing because we draft Le'Veon Bell, and he's in his first year making $2 million. Big difference between the two things. Le'Veon Bell, when he played his best football for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was making very little money. And that's when he was the most valuable. He loses value as you pay him more. He's a very good player. We'd like to have him on the roster. But the most value you can get is a rookie player. So the draft is super important. The New York Jets have eight picks in this draft. They have their first round pick, which is potentially going to be very high. They have their second round pick. They have two third-round picks, theirs and the Giants, which is potentially going to be very high. So that gives them, ideally, the four picks in the top 70 of the draft. If the Giants finish, you know, bottom eight in the league and the Jets finish bottom eight in the league, which is very possible, then we could be getting four picks in the top 70, which should give us the opportunity. You know, when you're talking about that high of picks, the first 70 guys, you should be able to find a starter with each one of those players. That's first and second round, essentially. You should be able to find three to four starters with those picks. So two offensive linemen, cornerback, edge, boom. Get rid of those things like that. Your team gets moving in the right direction quickly. We've got a fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick, sixth, and a seventh. So we have eight picks total in this draft, all the usual picks, and then an extra third-round pick from the Giants. We'll be following the Giants' record to see where that pick is going to fall. The worse the Giants do, the better that pick becomes for the New York Jets. And the positions that we're going to be looking at, in order of importance to me, Offensive line, cornerback, edge rusher, and wide receiver. And this is supposed to be a deep draft for offensive linemen and wide receiver, so that's a great thing. I've said it a bunch of times, offensive line is the most important thing because Sam Darnold won't be great until he has time to throw, until he has time to actually play quarterback. And the guys that we have right now are bad. A lot of them are free agents. You don't get good guys in free agency. You get guys like Kelvin Beecham. You know, he's one of the better free agents that will be available next year. You don't want him. You don't want Brandon Shell. You want to find guys that are better than that. They don't hit the open market because it's so important to have a good offensive line. Why the Jets have neglected the position in the draft for so many years, I have no idea. Ask Mike McKagan why he did that. Why do we try fifth-round picks, sixth-round picks, and that's about it for the offensive line? We need to have a good offensive line to be good. You saw the Colts. Look how good they are right now. It didn't matter if it was Andrew Luck or Jacoby Brissett because they built a great offensive line and the team is flourishing behind it. The New York Jets need to do the exact same thing for Sam Darnold. He's better than Jacoby Brissett, and this team can be better than the Colts are right now if they build that. At what cost? Maybe an entire draft. I don't care if they draft all eight players for the offensive line. Pick up a couple other players in free agency. I would be okay with that, to be honest, because it's that important to me. And then from there, cornerback, we know how horrible it is. Trumaine Johnson is the point of almost being cut and just eating all of the money that we owe him. Nate Hairston, you know, as good as he's looked at times, he still probably should be the fourth cornerback on a team, not the second, definitely not the first. Daryl Roberts, he's proved that he shouldn't be a starter either. He should also be the fourth guy on a team. Brian Poole's really the only guy who's looked good for the cornerbacks for the Jets, and he's a free agent. We have to re-sign him. If we don't, we will have nobody good, none, not even Brian Poole. And we're going to need to look at getting someone like that in the draft. Edge rusher, we're not getting any pressure on the quarterback right now. Like... Almost none. Even when we blitz five, six guys, we still don't get to the quarterback somehow. Somehow every team that blitzes us finds like two guys getting through untouched. When the Jets blitz six guys, nobody's nobody's untouched. They can have four guys blocking and six guys will get picked up. It's unbelievable. We need to get an edge rusher. And then wide receiver. Quincy Nunwa proves that he's unhealthy. We've got injuries to guys like Joshua Bellamy and Quincy Nunwa again. Um... We don't have a very deep room there. I mean, there were points this season when we were playing Joshua Bellamy, who's not very good at playing wide receiver. Braxton Berrios. We picked up Tamarius Thomas, who's who knows how long he can last. And, you know, guys like Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder have been known to miss games. We don't have a very deep room there at all. 
So we need to bring in a young guy, a cheap guy, somebody that can learn and grow with Sam. And, you know, those are the most important positions, and it's time to start looking at them. If you're watching college football for the remainder of this year and you're a New York Jets fan, watch offensive line first, but then look for cornerbacks, wide receivers, look for edge rushers. Anybody that you like, send them my way. I'm always happy to get some names so that I know who to watch when I'm watching football. I don't watch a lot of college football. So when I watch, like, Oklahoma play, I don't know who to watch. I look online and say, like, who are the top draft prospects for this team? And, you know, that's how I do it. But if you got guys in mind, the New York Jets should be looking at. Send them my way, and I will definitely start scouting them and get them, uh, you know, get them in my mind for the, for the podcast and for the draft coming up. That's a scoop of the New York Jets. That is our dose of looking to the future. We are dodging this Miami game as much as physically possible right now. And uh, before I do that, one more distraction. How about we take a pit stop at the cooler for What's On Tap? That's right, folks. It is What's On Tap, the section where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking while recording this episode. And today, my friends, it is nothing flashy. It is nothing delicious. It is something that right now my fridge is stocked full of. And it's a Heineken. Bruden Holland, premium quality lager beer, 5% alcohol. You've heard of Heineken before. I was at the store this weekend. I didn't want to buy the same old thing, but I've been drinking those double IPA four-packs for, you know, the three seasons I've been doing this and well before that. Those things are like 15, 16 bucks for a four-pack, and you drink them so quick, and you're just running through beers, running through money, and I'm currently on a money-saving initiative, so I'm trying to buy large volumes of inexpensive beers, but there's only so much, you know, bush light, that you can possibly stomach. I tried Natter Days. Those were inexpensive. There's only so much of that. I love Jim Beam, but you can't take shots for everything. Heineken seemed like a reasonably priced, high-volume beer that I could get and maybe enjoy. It would taste a little different. It's one that I don't drink Heineken. Um, I've hardly ever had it up until now. Uh, my dad drank it exclusively when I was growing up, from age, like, born to 13. It's all my dad drank. It's the first beer I ever had. When I was like six years old, I tried a sip of it when he left the room, and I almost threw up because it was so disgusting. But that's a Heineken. And finally, now, 28 years old, I am ready to try it again, and it's not so bad. It's just not so bad. It's, uh, I don't know, it tastes like a rolling rock, kind of, kind of skunky sort of flavor, but it's got more going on than just like a watery beer, and it was, I think, like 24 bucks for 24 of them, so dollar a beer, or dollar per 12 ounces, you know, you can beat that but not in a way that you're going to be happy about. This thing, you get to load up the fridge, enjoy them. I got I to gotta fire through them so I can move on to something else. You know, I can't just be drinking Heineken all the time for crying out loud. I got another What's on Tap to do next week. I got to finish all these before we get to that. Um, but that is What's on Tap. And I just realized that we are at the 37 mark of this episode, and I'm just doing What's on Tap now. So I'm like 20 minutes behind schedule, and I don't want to bore you with an hour and 40 minute long episode. So I'm going to kind of move quickly through the next few segments, if that's okay. We're going to have to breeze through the Miami Dolphins game. Oh, darn. But first, quick commercial. All right, next order of business is player news within the New York Jets. The New York Jets put two players on IR today. Joshua Bellamy, who's supposed to be special teams specialist that we've hardly seen this year. He's also a wide receiver that has played poor wide receiver for the New York Jets. Nicknamed Bezo, he's been put on IR and we won't miss him. We also put on IR Trumaine Johnson, who definitely won't be missed. This is actually the best news we've heard about Trumaine Johnson basically all season, is that we now know for sure he won't be playing for the New York Jets again. What does that mean for us? It means we may see a little bit more Arthur Moilette, and that may be a curse in itself. We'll find out as the season goes on. Maybe Blashawn Austin, a draft pick from this last draft that was injured for all of training camp and up till now, Maybe he can make his way onto the roster and start playing some snaps. Um, really, the only guys that we can evaluate at cornerback for, like, young players are Blashawn Austin and then maybe Nate Harrison, whether or not we want to, you know, keep riding with that guy. Other than that, we know what we have in Trumaine Johnson, and he's on IR. We know what we have in Daryl Roberts, and it's not good enough to be a starting cornerback. I mean, it's going to be tough there for the rest of the year, but we don't have to watch Trumaine Johnson, so that feels good. We still do owe him $15 million in guaranteed, or $12 million in guaranteed money. His contract next year is $15 million, and we put him on IR now. Honestly, as painful as it is to say, it may be better off cutting him in the offseason and just eating $12 million, just having it go to nobody and have an empty spot at cornerback just to save the $3 million. So consider that the New York Jets may be cutting Trumaine Johnson once and for all. It could potentially happen, but there's no way around it. It's going to destroy our cap. You're talking about $12 million that could be going to 
a very good player in free agency that we just won't have to spend. It'll just be lost for nothing, and we'll have an opening at cornerback. So it probably is worth, you know, $3 million, you can get a Brian Poole-level player if you find the right guy. And it's worth having that over Trumaine Johnson. We know for sure he can't play, and he's injured all the time. I mean, what a horrible, horrible freaking signing. He is like, if there's, we, we've not done Doghouse in like a year and a half since Spencer Long, I believe. We haven't done a Doghouse. But for crying out loud, if we were to do one right now, Trumaine Johnson would just retire in there. We would just put him in there and keep him in there. There's no hope for him. Next segment that we will do will be a recap of the Miami Dolphins game. And we've talked about it a little bit. The game started well. We had a drive that went 75 yards. We scored a touchdown. Jamison Crowder, nice throw from Sam Darnold. Everything felt great. We're still playing the Dolphins. I mean, there wasn't a ton of excitement going into the game because people want Gase fired and the season's basically lost anyway. But you start a drive like that, you feel really good about yourselves and what's going to happen for the rest of the game. It got turned around for the rest of it. Adam Gase couldn't make adjustments. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is a better quarterback than a lot of people want to give him credit for. You know, he's got the ability to surprise you, and he has the ability to play well. The New York Jets try to play a zone defense because their cornerbacks can't play man. So they try to go zone, and, you know, for most of this year, Greg Williams tries to disguise it, makes it look like zone, and then shifts it into, uh, or makes it look like man, and then shifts it into zone. But when you're playing against a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's been on, what, like, every team in the NFL and has seen every single defense you've ever imagined, worked with every defensive coordinator in practice that you could ever imagine. He's seen everything. He went to Harvard. He's a smart guy, picks up on this stuff. He found the soft spot in the zone over and over again. They were running curl routes and the same seams and posts, and it was just like clockwork for them, running the same plays over and over. They didn't need to run the ball well in this game. They didn't run the ball well in this game. Jets have a stout run defense. Still proved that in this game, even without Leonard Williams, that they could stop the run as poor as the Dolphins' offensive line and running backs are. But we couldn't stop the pass. Our cornerbacks couldn't do it. Ryan Fitzpatrick found the spot in the zone every single time. We got picked apart, and we were not able to do the same thing to the Miami Dolphins. In fact, they got pressure on Sam Darnold, made him uncomfortable, and made him have a somewhat sloppy game. You know, it wasn't a horrible game from Sam Darnold, as much as people want to admit it. Because we were playing the Dolphins, you were expecting him to go off. You know, he had an 85 quarterback rating in this game. He threw for 260 yards. One touchdown, only one interception, no fumbles. It wasn't a horrible game from Sam Darnold. But he looked uncomfortable all game long. He's still throwing off his back foot. His mechanics are way off. He's not comfortable in the offense. It doesn't look like that at all. There was a play where the ball was snapped and went over his head, and Brian Winters is yelling at him like, what's going on? We got a safety on that play. I mean, it, it was messy from from that sort of standpoint in that he didn't look comfortable, calm, or smooth in any way whatsoever. But when he did have time, he was finding open receivers. He had decent passing percentage in this game. And, you know, he found that touchdown. He led a nice drive. Just things aren't clicking. You can see it with the offense. It is so choppy. And the only consistency to the entire thing is the offensive line can't block. We have one good drive. We come out like that, and then it all goes stale. And we aren't mixing things up and trying anything new. It's the same vanilla-style offense that you you feared you'd see again with Jeremy Bates. It's a worse version of that. And so Sam Darnold statistically had an okay game, but looked uncomfortable the whole while doing it. Looked like he was skittish, and it's regression from him, because he didn't look like that at first. We saw him a couple weeks ago come out against the Dallas Cowboys. He looked like a guy that commanded the huddle right away, took control of this team, and led the offense in his way, finding receivers downfield, standing in the pocket and delivering bullets here, there, finding every receiver. But then, these last few weeks as the pressure's been coming to him, he's just been throwing off of his back foot and and having a lot of issues. And when he gets into trouble, the biggest issue with him is right now he's trying to play hero ball, but in horrible situations. He's not just, like, chucking the ball downfield 70 yards trying to make a nice deep throw and be a hero. He's, like, about to get sacked, and instead of going down or throwing the ball away, sometimes it's better to take the sack, but instead what he's doing is he's trying to throw it to a receiver as he's falling, and these balls are getting picked off or nearly picked off time and time again. And it's one of those things that, in your head, you're thinking, well, that's easy to fix. Just stop making those decisions, and, you know, everything will be better. Just allow the play to be over and throw it out of bounds. Yes, it should be easy to fix, but he hasn't shown that he can do that yet, and that's what he needs to work on. He needs to work on throwing the ball away, and I know those are boring plays. Taking the sack and throwing the ball away, you're going to see it and be like, ugh, 
ugly. We're just throwing the ball away. Or, oh my gosh, sacked again. But compared to the alternative of throwing an interception in the red zone instead of getting a field goal against the Dolphins in this game, I mean, you would much rather take the sack or throw it out of bounds. So, you know, accept it as, well, he's making the right decisions when you see him do stuff like that moving forward. So I want to see more of that from him. Le'Veon Bell had an all right game in this one, 17 yards for 66, or 17 carries for 66 yards. He had a 3.9 yard average. Bilal Powell had a couple carries for 16 yards. That was all right to see. Uh, when it came to the receiving game, it was really just it was really just Jamison Crowder, eight catches for 83 yards on nine targets in that touchdown. And then Le'Veon Bell had 55 yards on eight catches. Ryan Griffin's been worked into the offense more in the last few weeks. He had six catches for 50 yards and had the opportunity for another touchdown, his fourth of the year. But Upon review, you know, he had his feet down and he caught the ball, but then on review, he bobbled the ball afterwards going out of bounds. And it was one of those confusing plays where it's like, well, it looks like he has it. And there's definitely time where he's caught the ball and got his feet in bounds. But after like the Calvin Johnson rule and everything, you don't ever trust anything when a guy's on the ground and the ball is moving around at all. Even if it's like a second or two afterwards, you still just don't trust it. And they returned that one, which was a bummer. So we didn't get our touchdown there. Um, obviously like, you know, that could have changed this whole game. This isn't a game that the Jets couldn't win. Keep in mind, it was 18 to 26. It was a one score game. The Jets could have found a way to win this game a variety of different ways. They left points on the field. They had a lot of penalties. It wasn't a game that they couldn't win. The problem is that they didn't win and it was the Dolphins. And so when you come out here and a team hasn't won a single game in the Miami Dolphins and you put up this kind of performance and you beat yourselves and, and can't adjust or stop them and lose for their first win of the season, and now they're actually ahead of you in the division, a notoriously horrible division year after year, and we're in the basement of that thing, yeah, it's really ugly. So 18-26, a normal game wouldn't be horrible. In this specific game, it's horrible. You know, one receiver that I think deserves a little bit of a shout-out here is Vincent Smith. At my house on Football Sundays, we're starting to call this guy Big Play Vince because every time this guy touches the ball, something big happens. He has one catch in this game for 20 yards. But he had an end-around touchdown earlier this year. One of, like It was like the second touchdown we'd had all season long. At the time, we were like, who was this guy? That guy that was just added? He's the guy that scores on a rushing touchdown. But then since then, he's had a couple nice end-around plays for big yards. He had the 20-yard catch in this one. And then a huge kick return. You know, 78 yards on a kick return. Maybe our best special teams play of the entire season. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Vincent Smith is a mainstay for the New York Jets, that I want to find ways to get this guy more involved. All I'm going to say is that one way or another, he finds a way to touch the ball like once a game, and it's always one of the better plays. So, no, he's not a reliable, consistent source of yardage. But there's something to be said for a guy who can get something going in a game where nobody seems to be able to do anything. So big play Vince shows up again, 78-yard kickoff return. We'll see what he's got in store for us next week against the New York Giants. If he continues to string like one or two good plays together per game for the rest of the season, I mean, he could potentially be back on the roster. Probably not, but it is possible. So Vincent Smith gets a shout out there. Big play, Vince. Defensively, we didn't like what we saw. We had bad games from Nate Harrison, who at first had been like a pretty good cornerback, but, you know, it was compared to Trumaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts. You were thinking like, oh, he's actually not that bad, Nate Harrison. Late round guy, we, we traded a late round pick to get him in here, and you know maybe he's a valuable addition. He's just not ready to be a number one or number two type cornerback. I mean, he's not guarding great receivers in this game. So it's like Preston Williams, it's Devontae Parker, it's Mike Jasicki's tearing us up in this game, playing uh, tight end. We can't guard the tight end still. I mean, ne- Neville Hewitt, our third overall inside linebacker, was bad at guarding the tight end. Now we're down two more guys to James Burgess, and he can't do it. Three more guys. We're past. Hewitt passed Cashman, passed McClellan, down to Burgess. He can't do it. Jasicki tore us up. Burgess had a bad game. He's not ready to play at the NFL level. Jamal Adams, he was missing tackles. He was not making an impact in this game. And after having that big week of talk and, you know, calling himself Aaron Donald, Tom Brady type level, he comes out here and plays a game like Daryl Roberts is playing safety for us again. So not impressed with anything that he did in this game. He had two tackles for a loss, which were a couple nice plays, but for what he's you know, referring to himself as for the value that he holds for himself. He's just, he's got to make more of an impact than four tackles and and missed tackles and a couple bad plays throughout this game. Daryl Roberts, he's the other cornerback. He had a horrible game. I mean, overall, the defense just played bad. I'm not going to go through everybody because it's not worth talking about. The players didn't do well. Quinn Williams is the guy. He got his first sack. 
big game for him. Um, you know, getting that sack is always huge. It's his first full sack of his career. A lot of people are getting down on Quinnen Williams right now, and some are referring to him as a potential bust. I just want to pump the brakes on that real quick. Quinnen Williams is still a child. He's got braces on. He's Already, you can tell when you watch him in the trenches, he's stronger than most of the offensive linemen he goes up against, just one-on-one pushing them. And he's not even fully grown yet. He's a child. He's a young boy. And he's going to get older and bigger and stronger. And when he does, and he you know gets fully grown, gets into his, his man body, gets those braces off, and is fully developed as a, as a human, you're going to see just how strong he is and how valuable he is on this team. There were rumors that you know a team was offering a, a mega super-sized trade offer package to get Quinn and Williams, and there are reasons why. It's not from stuff that you've seen on the field so far, necessarily. I mean, you have seen him bullying people, but it's what he could be. What we've seen from him in college, and he's not played a ton for the New York Jets this year. You know, he missed a bunch of games with injury, and then he splits time while he's on the field playing for us. But he's moved across the defensive line. He has got after the quarterback a little bit, and you can see that he's got the ability to do things on the interior defensive line that not a lot of guys in this NFL can do, and that's push a guy backwards quickly. And when he does that and starts busting these pockets open against guys like Tom Brady or whomever else he's going up against, we're going to realize just how valuable he is. But for right now, he's young, he's learning, and he's still he's still growing. So let's give him a little bit of time and stop comparing him to Nick Bosa or Josh Allen or anybody else drafted in this draft class because Quinton Williams is going to be just fine. I don't know if he's going to be the best player in the entire draft, but I can assure you this guy is not going to be a bust for the New York Jets, and some people are saying that Dwayne Robertson at this point was better. And to that, I mean, all I can really say is give me a break. Give me a break. Really remember Dwayne Robertson playing. It's fun to bring the name back up, but really, truly, compare the two players inside. Come on. When you look at team stats for this game, the New York Jets got beat up in the same categories that they've been getting beat up in week after week, and it's the reasons that we lose. It's the same things that we talk about and bring light to the same categories every single week, and we still don't improve it, and that's another reason why Adam Gase needs to be fired at the end of this season. Third down efficiency, 35%. Again, piss poor. The Miami Dolphins in this game were 50%. We need to be better than our opponents on third down, and we need to be much better than 35%. We can't be 5 for 14. That doesn't sustain drives. That doesn't get you down the field, and that doesn't get you into scoring position. Penalties. The New York Jets. Four more penalties than the Dolphins. 54 more total yards of penalty than the Dolphins. We had 10 for 105 yards. Double-digit penalties for over 100 yards. That's ridiculous. We had more turnovers than the Dolphins. One turnover for the Jets, none for the Dolphins. We also had a fumbled snap that went out of the back of the end zone for a safety, which essentially was another turnover, but they're not counting it. And then possession, time of attack, New York Jets 28 minutes, Miami Dolphins 31. So again, we get beaten third down, efficiency, penalties, turnovers, and possession. And those are like the three categories that I would want to win looking at any of these things. I don't care as much about passing, about rushing yards, because if you're converting on third down, it doesn't really matter. If you're not getting penalties in this game, you're not hurting yourself that way, or with turnovers, you're going to be all right. And if you control the ball, then you're doing the right things. It doesn't matter if it's passing or rushing, you're keeping on the field, and that's important. Now, there were a couple things. The New York Jets had better yards per play than the Dolphins. 5.1 yards per play for the Jets, 4.9 for the Dolphins. And rushing the ball, the Dolphins only had 50 rushing yards on 2.1 yards per attempt. So that stout Jets run defense still looks stout, still looks good. But giving up 288 yards to Ryan Fitzpatrick for three touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, that's where the real issue comes in. The fact that you have young tight end Mike Jasicki, a guy who's not done much at the NFL level yet, get six catches for 95 yards, and Preston Williams, five catches for 72 yards. Those are the things that really get to you. Those are the things that we need to be able to stop next year. I think guys like Quinn and Williams, Henry Anderson, Foley Fadakasi, Kyle Phillips, those are guys that are probably here to stay. And so for as long as we have them, we're probably going to be decent against the run. Unfortunately, while they're on the field, we won't get a ton of pressure on the quarterback unless Quinn can start getting that strength we were talking about. We probably won't get a lot of output there for like quarterback pressures. We're going to have to get it more from that Brandon Copeland position. But another thing that yields Zach's is coverage. And until we can start covering receivers and stopping guys like Mike Jasicki and, and Preston Williams from getting open, we're not going to have time to get after the quarterback. So those are some of the things that uh, the New York Jets have to work on. Game stats, not great in this one. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't one of those games like we played against the Patriots where we got absolutely dominated. The Jets did move the ball at times on offense. They did stop the Dolphins at times on defense. 
But across the board, the Dolphins played a better game, and they beat us. And they're supposed to be a really bad team. They weren't supposed to beat us. So that's where the real issue comes in. Now, before I get into a quick Jets-Giants preview, my dad gave a little submission for this week's episode on this week's Father Time. Or my father, David Burnham, longtime Jets fan, guy that got me into it, gives me a submission via email of his thoughts or anything uh, that he's thinking about the New York Jets throughout the week. So let's see what Dad Burnham has to say today. Here we go. It's hard to tell, but last week the Jets started the soft part of the 2019 schedule. But it didn't look that way. Miami appeared to be a capable foe. Miami quickly adjusted after the Jets' first touchdown drive, and the rest was ugly. Adam Gase just couldn't counter. Again. I don't have the stomach to look back to Miami, so let's look forward. For me, this game is simple. Against the Giants, the Jets must stop Saquon Barkley, and the Giants must stop Le'Veon Bell. Stop the run and make the quarterbacks drop back and throw. The team that can make the opposing quarterback miserable will win. Quarterback pressure is important. Jones fumbles and makes mistakes. And unfortunately, penalties. These teams are currently inept. Any penalties are devastating because in a game like this, big gains are hard to come by. Go Jets! Okay, Dad, so that's what we got. For this week, we can see that he did not want to talk about the Dolphins. He feels the exact same way that I did, that Adam Gase clearly is not making any adjustments on the field. And he's as pissed off as I am. He didn't come out and say that he wants him fired, but, you know, we'll see if he gets to that point in an upcoming father time. In the meantime, he wants to talk about the Giants game because we don't want to focus on Miami anymore. Let's look ahead to a team that we potentially could beat. I think last time I checked, the New York Jets were favored to win. That was before the Dolphins game, after we lost that one. Maybe things have changed, but we just, we beat the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. It's a team they just lost to. Does it mean anything? No, but this is a team that we can win. And it's a sort of, it's a rivalry game, right? Like it's, it's going to be a a mixed stadium. It's going to be probably more Giants fans than Jets fans, but overall it's two miserable teams that want their head coaches fired. And you know, the Giants probably want their general manager fired as well. And it's going to get a little, uh, it's going to get a little dicey because still we are diehard fan bases that want to see our teams do well, even though we're struggling struggling mightily at this time. So it's going to be exciting, like he said. Daniel Jones versus Sam Darnold. And Daniel Jones does make mistakes. Everyone likes to talk about Sam Darnold, though. Sam Darnold throws the ball away, and he throws it to the defense, and he makes a ton of mistakes. He's turnover-prone. Let's be honest. If you want to talk about turnover-prone, that's what Daniel Jones is. And I don't want to pick on the guy Daniel Jones because he's young, and he's still learning, and he's he's got a lot of opportunity to grow. But I want to run a few stats by you here. Through eight games, Daniel Jones has 10 fumbles, eight of them lost. Darnold has eight total for his career, three of them lost. So Jones, through half a season, eight fumbles lost, Darnold, three from his career. Geno Smith, for example, lost 10 fumbles total in 40 games. And Geno Smith fumbled the ball way too much. He had tiny hands, remember? 10 fumbles in 40 games. Jones is already at eight through eight. Mark Sanchez, the most he ever lost in an entire season was eight. What Daniel Jones is at right now, halfway through the season, is the most Mark Sanchez ever had lost in a season. I mean, the numbers that Daniel Jones are putting up right now are horrible when it comes to turnovers. He's throwing interceptions and he's fumbling the ball more than I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you can talk about the nice throws that he makes here and there, but that guy turns the ball over like no other. And Sam Darnold, yeah, he's got issues right now, but he's not that bad. He's not dropping the ball every single time he's hit. And thank goodness, because he gets hit a lot. The New York Jets are going to have to get after Daniel Jones. If we can hit him, he will drop the ball. We have to make sure that we're getting back there, that we're getting pressure on him, that we're making his life a little bit difficult. I think that Greg Williams is going to do this type of stuff that he did against Baker Mayfield that kind of worked, which is disguising man coverages and zone coverages making them think that we're running man going into zone. But at this point in the season, we've done it so many times, they're probably expecting stuff like that. And in reality, it's probably somewhat easy to throw on guys like Nate Harrison and Daryl Roberts. So the Giants may be trying to pick them apart. But it comes down to stopping Saquon Barkley. If Saquon Barkley's running for first downs and he's picking up five yards, four yards, six yards, and they're getting first downs that way, we don't have to see Daniel Jones throw, they're going to find success. The only way we win is getting Daniel Jones in these third and tens, letting Greg Williams dial up the pressure and making Daniel Jones beat us. The same thing goes for the New York Jets on the offensive side of the ball and the Giants on the defensive side of the ball, respectively, is they have to stop Le'Veon Bell, and they have to go back there and make Sam Darnold throw the ball. They've got a couple of good pass rushers. Marcus Golden's a good pass rusher. They just added Leonard 
They just added Leonard Williams, who most people don't think of as a pass rusher, but he is better than our offensive lineman. Like, whatever you want to say, he's better than Brian Winters or Jonathan Harrison guarding him. And he knows that, and hopefully he doesn't have a field day against us. We'll be seeing the big cat back on the same field, and, you know, it'll be bittersweet. But Sam Darnold's got to find a way to stand in the pocket and get the ball to his receivers. The main thing we have to do is protect better. That means the running backs have to protect better. The linemen have to protect better. They have to have better communication. They have to do more slides. They have to pick up the right guys. They can't let guys go free. The communication is the biggest issue. No penalties, no holding, no starting on a first and 20 and making it a a bum drive to begin with. You need to play smart and give Sam Darnold an opportunity to throw because the Giants defense is not very good. We all know it. Sam Darnold could potentially feast on this team if he's got time in the pocket. He could look the way he looked against Dallas. He could start to get his season, his confidence, his career back on track with a good game. But that's not going to happen until he has time to throw. If he's uncomfortable back there, just like he's been, he's going to be skittish and make mistakes. That's what I've seen from this year. And so far, Adam Gase has not proven that he's able to change anything to make life easier for Sam Darnold. That he's able to bring better protections in, more tight ends, a fullback or something, run the ball more, you know, counter plays, outside pitches and handoffs, run options, rollouts, screens, anything you want to think of. End arounds, double reverses, flea flicker, something creative to try to get something going on offense and keep the defense guessing. Just let them pin their ears back and come after Sam Darnold time and time again, you're going to lose. So just please, Adam Gase, like, I don't know how much longer you're going to be here, but just don't do the same thing again. Don't screw us. This is a game, I'm going to this game, like I said, and I'm rooting for the Jets. I will never root for us to lose. I don't care about draft positioning right now. Like, when it comes to the draft, I'll be happy if we're picking high up, but the process of getting there... I am not on board with. So I want to see the Jets come out and play a good game. I don't think that if the Jets win this one, it means we should keep Adam Gase. I don't think there's much that he can do at this point through the remainder of the season that would make me think that he's a good head coach. And hopefully the same goes for Chris Johnson. Hopefully he's not going to hold on to him. But just come out here and compete. And let's have these players play well. We talked about the 27 guys we have upcoming free agents. Let's see them earn spots back onto this roster. The other 26 guys that we have already stuck on the roster... You know, make us glad to have you. Prove to us that you deserve to be a starter on this team and not a backup and not cut. This has become an evaluation season. And I don't want to evaluate a poor team with poor coaching and a poor roster and poor decision making across the board. I want to see some guys put some stuff together and just capture a little bit of success late in the season. Find your opportunities. This is one of them. This is the Giants. They don't have a good defense. Come on, get it together here. I'll be there. I'll be cheering loud. I'll be up in the back of the end zone going absolutely crazy for the entire game. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it affects next week. Next week actually is the 50th anniversary of the podcast, 50th episode. So that's exciting. And it'll be coming after the Jets-Giants rivalry game at MetLife Stadium, hopefully coming on the heels of a big win for Gang Green. Now, I personally am not a big fan of going to regular season games of the New York Jets. I always go to a preseason game every year, but I don't like to go to regular season games because I like to be able to watch the game on TV. I like to be able to replay the plays, go back, see who's blocking what, how the defense is covering, and everything. It's hard to do that when you're at the game. They don't show enough replays. You don't have great commentary or anything reminding you like who's coming onto the field, who's leaving. It's hard to see everything and take it all in at once. And They don't do the replays. You don't get to pause or go back and slow things down for yourself. So for me, I feel like I don't I don't get as good a vision of what's happening. But it is fun to be there with the camaraderie of the fan base and, and going a little crazy, drinking, rooting for your team. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be more Jets or more Giants fans, but I will try to overpower them as best I can. And like I said, I'll be in the uh, I'll be in the parking lot tailgating for this one. And I encourage you if you want, come over for a beer, talk football, hang out with us. It's all good. Just a couple of Jets fans trying to get by for this season. We got eight more weeks to go. I'm not going to stop the podcast. I'm not going to give up on this team. I know how quickly they can turn it around. I know what two good drafts in a row can do. I know what giving good contracts out can look like and what it can create. And I believe in Joe Douglas. You know, I've only seen a few general managers in my lifetime. We had Mike McCagnon for a while. He did poor. I thought that he had a plan at one point. And it did get Sam Darnold, so I kind of felt a little bit more. I wanted him so badly, Sam Darnold, coming out of college that, you know, I kind of bought into McCagden for a little bit longer, but he didn't have a plan, and he didn't know what the hell he was doing. Clearly in the draft, he was lost. Idzik, that guy came to make cap space. He did that, but he couldn't draft well either. 
And then Tannenbaum, we had a good run with him. He did some good things. Eventually, kind of wore out his welcome, got a little stale. We decided to move on. But it's not that many years that you go into a draft saying, we have an entirely new person at the helm with a whole new approach, different draft style. It doesn't happen as often as, you know, we've cycled through head coaches more than we've had. And we've cycled through quarterbacks way more. Every year, oh, this quarterback, or trying two quarterbacks or three quarterbacks this year. We get to try a new guy drafting, a whole new approach, and I think instead of going after, you know, best player available, I think that he's going to take more of a look at need for the team. I don't think he's going to do... McCagnon wasn't even taking the best player available. He was picking who he thought was the best player, which was wrong. So he would take, like, Nathan Shepard at a position that we didn't need at all, or Trevon Wesco at a position that we didn't need at all. He would do stuff like that. We were like, wait a minute, what? Why why are we doing this? We don't need it, and he's not good? I don't think Joe Douglas is going to take that route. I think that he's going to find guys that play positions that we need. He's going to look for the offensive line, and he's going to find guys to play it. He's going to look for cornerbacks, and he's going to find guys to play that position. So I'm looking forward to what's to come, and I believe the New York Jets will get this thing back on track. It's not going to happen this year. It's probably not going to happen with Adam Gase's head coach, and that's for the better. We need to find somebody else to do it anyway. But this team does have better days ahead of them. They do have pieces to build around. Sam Darnold. I'm not lost on him. I will not call him a bust. I've seen way too many bad quarterbacks play for the New York Jets, and I've seen what he looks like throwing the ball within within a clean pocket. And that's what the gauge for success should be. What does he look like throwing from within a clean pocket? Because until a quarterback on the New York Jets has a clean pocket, you can't be a good team. Once we can protect, once we can give our quarterback a chance to be comfortable and play quarterback, that's when we'll see how good he is. And I've seen bits of it here and there when he has time, and I've seen the way he throws the ball. I am all in still. We just can't keep seeing him aggress for the rest of this year. Let's watch him have a big game against the New York Giants. We've got an opportunity this week, folks. I'm going to make a prediction for this game. New York Jets win this one 31-27. I know. I'm picking the New York Jets again. How crazy am I? Pretty damn. Pretty darn crazy. And I am living the jet life. That's why we're here. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Rate, review, subscribe, whatever. We'll see you next week. Let's go Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 